Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. Hope you guys are having a good morning. That made it better. Thanks, Norm. Thank you, guys. Um, so for the last few weeks, we've focused in a bit on what, uh, what Jesus meant when he said he intended us to be, be salt and light in this world. And particularly on the light side, he talks about how people would, would set up a lamp out in the middle of the room and it would shine light for everybody to see. Uh, I just thought you might find this interesting. There should be a picture there at the very beginning. Can you pull the slide up with a pic on it? So I got a friend who's a, a biblical archeologist. He's actually in Israel right now doing a dig. Um, his, one of his students dug this up uh, two weeks ago. And so this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. I just found it fascinating. Rarely do they ever find them like whole like this. So I, I just thought it was interesting. So when Jesus talks about a lamp on a lampstand, this is exactly what he's talking about. This is what all the people listening to him would have, uh, would have pictured in their head. And so it would have just had a little, uh, a little uh, wick coming out of the end of that, and there would have been some oil that was in there. That, that is how they would light their house. So there you go. Like I said, I just thought it was interesting and thought it would, uh, thought it would help kind of bring that together. So one other thing that I, I kind of want to mention before we get into the heart of the lesson, I, I don't remember which one. Uh, I don't actually say the exact same words every single service. Uh, it's not possible. Uh, so I, I made mention of something in one of the services, and I don't remember which it was last week. And somebody, somebody came up and asked me about it, and it was a statement that I made that I found a lot of peace about evangelism. Uh, it was back when I was in Bible college when I realized, when I realized that it's not my job to convict people. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And so I had somebody come up and ask me about that. Let's talk about that for a minute because there's a dovetail between kind of where we're going today and, and the Holy Spirit in our, working in our lives. So John 16, 8, this is Jesus speaking. And this is kind of where we get this. It, it says when he, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Yeah, again, I, I go back to this thing. It's not my job to convict people of their brokenness, the stuff that's wrong in their life. Now, sometimes, particularly once we've become a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit will lead us to, to lovingly and gracefully bring light to sin or, or falsehood in other people's lives. But there's a difference between that and actually like convicting someone. Does that make sense? Those are two different things. You know, owning our own brokenness, recognizing the, the truth about Christ uh, that, that's something that the Holy Spirit does on and in our lives. Uh, scripture says that, that before we're believers, before we've accepted Jesus, um, that, that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, leads us to the truth about ourselves and our world and, and who Jesus was and what he's done for us. And then once we choose to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit continues to convict us where there's brokenness. It's kind of like peeling an onion back, man. I don't know about you, my life, it's like when, when God starts working on one section, we kind of get through that thing. It's like, all right, now here's, here's the next thing to work on, the next thing. And that's the Holy Spirit working in our life, leading us to truth, sanctifying us, working the transformation process in our hearts and our minds. Um, and so he provides the ability then to carry out the, the purpose and mission that God's called us to. 
And so really a lot of what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is really about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and changing us so that we can shine light, so that we can be that salt that Jesus said we were meant to be. Again, I think it's really important to say this. God can, man, God can do whatever he wants. I, I, I don't want to paint God in a box. God can choose to meet people in any way, shape, or form he wants to, and there are certainly moments in Scripture where we see God miraculously appearing to people in different ways, shapes, and forms, and talking to them. And, and today, I mean, there's stories of missionaries who get into the middle of nowhere where people have never heard the name of Jesus, but they start talking about, about God, and they're like, I, I, actually, I know know about him because of this, that, and this, and you find out that God's actually been encountering them in ways. So, I mean, God can do whatever he wants, but what scripture tells us is that the norm, most of the time, the plan that, that, that he, he carries out is that we're supposed to be part of this, this thing that he's doing and carrying the message about Jesus from person to person to person. That's the norm. That's the plan. The Holy Spirit uses my life, uses your life as a conduit for God's mercy and love and power. So when we talk about being God's hands or God's feet, we talk about speaking God's word. I mean, that's really at the end of the day what we're talking about here. As God transforms us, our, our lives are supposed to look different. I know we're not always comfortable with that because we want to look the same. We want to blend in, but the reality is, the intention is, our life is supposed to be different. Do you know we're supposed to be healthier than everybody else? We're supposed to experience and exhibit joy differently in life differently than the people who are around us. Yeah, I messaged a, a friend the other night, you know, social media for all that it is. Yeah, the one good thing is there, there's some people that I've kept in touch with I never would have without social media. Brandy is one of them. I grew up with Brandy. I, I knew Brandy when I was in elementary school, and then she kind of moved out of the, the place where I grew up, and then we reconnected uh, when I started going to the church that she was going to in middle school, and then we went to high school together, and so I've known her for a long time. I don't know that I've actually seen her in person, man, maybe since just after graduation, but uh, anyway, Brandy is, is one of those people where you just kind of watch each other's lives on Facebook. And so I've watched her grow. She's got like, I don't know, like 10 or 11 kids. I don't know anymore. I mean, she was made to be a mom and she's a great mom. It's been really cool watching her, her grow and her life and just everything that she's done. And, and uh, she put a post up a couple of weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, I think, um, talking about the fact that she has leukemia out of the blue. Man, just, she went into the doctor, wasn't feeling right, and then suddenly you have this leukemia diagnosis. It's scary. And so she's stuck in a hospital uh, away from her family, and they're trying to figure out what, you, what kind. There are a lot of different kinds of leukemia, and then obviously, you know, modes of care and care plans are totally different for each one. And so she's going through this process, and she's doing it alone, and it was her daughter's birthday, and her daughter didn't get to be there. And like I said, she loves kids. And I just going through all that and watching it, but yeah, you know, the other thing that I, I really noticed is the way that she she talks about it on Facebook, her posts are very different than the norm when you see somebody going through that kind of a struggle. So I just reached out to her, I just told her, I said, Hey, I just want to check in on you. It's been a long time, but just love you and you know, remember all this stuff and you know, praying for you, whatever I can do for you. But man, those, those posts, just really, the, the way that she's approaching it, the way that she's dealing with this moment in her life is very different than the norm. 
Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Let's go back to this. It's kind of been the theme here through our, our series. Jesus says, you're like the light for the whole world, a city built on a hill that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a lampstand and it gives light to, to everyone in the house. In the same way, your light must shine before people so that they'll see the good things you do and they'll praise your heavenly father. I can promise you, just based on Brandy's interactions, that there are people around her looking, going, why are you, why are you like this? Why are you still joyful? Why are you still upbeat? How are you handling this differently? And I know Brandy well enough to know that she'll tell him where that comes from. Not only does he use us as an example, he also uses our lives as a catalyst for life change in other people. So the Holy Spirit uses my life as a catalyst to connect people to life change. It's part of what he wants to do through us. What does that mean? Well, a catalyst is some kind of a chemical or mechanism that gets a reaction started. So, I mean, most of us have heard about a you know, catalytic converter that's on our car, but I, I, I'm a car guy. So the, actually the way I think about it is probably an easier analogy would be like a starter on a car. Because a starter doesn't run the entire time the engine's on. A starter gets the motor started, and once it gets going and it's got its own ability to, to keep itself alive and going, then it, it shuts off. Jesus, obviously, there are not a lot of car analogies in Scripture. Sorry, guys. Jesus uses, though, a, a similar illustration with yeast and dough. It's there in Matthew 13, 33. He said, The kingdom of heaven's like the, the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So it got the reaction started and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. Yeah, our life is exponential. Think about your normal day for a minute. Where did you go? Let's just pick Friday. Where'd you go on Friday? Who'd you meet? Who did you meet that you didn't even know that you met driving down the road who were looking at you and you were singing in your car, you know, or you were angry and you were screaming into your phone and they couldn't tell what, just your face showed that you were really angry. I mean, all of that stuff matters. How many people are exposed to your words and your interactions? I mean, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, whether that's at a store, whether that's going through the drive-through, wherever, however, now imagine if we really took advantage of every one of those moments for what they are. Opportunities. Opportunities to, to invest into other people in some way, shape, or form, and in, sometimes in the, the smallest of ways. Going back to Jesus' first followers, that's what we see them doing, right? That's kind of what we looked at the first week. John 1, 41 through 42, you got these two guys who'd been following Jesus away from John the Baptist, and they're kind of a little sketchy, but they, they're following him. He turns around, he's like, what? And they're like, uh, where are you going? He goes, come and see, come follow me, come, come check out. You want to know about me? You want to see where I'm going? You want to see where I'm staying? Come on, follow me. They spent some time in relationship with him. What happens right afterwards? Andrew went to find his brother Simon, who becomes Peter. He says, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Likewise, Philip does the same thing. Philip goes and looks for Nathaniel, another friend. He goes, look, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name's Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Person to person, the Holy Spirit is using lives to connect people to Jesus. 
You know, and there's something in that, just in those two little accounts with Andrew and with Peter, with, with Philip and with Nathaniel, that I think sometimes we, we take for granted, maybe we miss, maybe we overlook that's in there. there there's a, a foundation that's there that allows the Holy Spirit to work the way he's working. Matter of fact, if you look through the New Testament, it, it's a foundation that we see in most people that both Jesus interacts with as well as the, for sure the, the very earliest version of the church, there's this thing that's there. What's there as you look at that with, with those four guys, what's the underlying foundational thing that allows the Holy Spirit to convict them and to move them forward into relationship with Jesus? They knew the scriptures well enough to look for the Messiah and, and the fact that Jesus may be him. Have you ever thought about that? See, there's an underlying thing that's there with those guys specifically, and again, really with most of the church, because the earliest, earliest church were all Jewish. And so they had this foundation of scripture that was there that the Holy Spirit used and went, okay, you guys have been paying attention. You've been looking for God. All right, now, ding, 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 like the, the light thing, you know, flashes on. It's, this is it. And they were able to recognize him because of that. There's a big question that I would just ask you today, and it is just simply this. How useful do you want to be to God? How useful do you actually want to be? I mean, we all talk about wanting to follow God, be part of God's plan and let God use us and all that stuff, but how useful do you actually want to be? You know, the average Jew in Jesus' day was brought up as a small child to, to know the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible the various festivals, all the feasts, the Ten Commandments, the teachings of the Mishnah, which is kind of like a commentary on the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, you know, do you realize most of them would have had much of the Old Testament memorized? Like they would have had it at a given point where they could just recite it to you? One passage in the, the Mishnah, that's that commentary we're talking about, actually kind of goes through what, what that commentator sees as the, the normal life cycle of a person. And, and just the first part of it, he goes through and he says, at, at five years of age, you start reading the Bible. At 10 years, learning the Mishnah. At 13 years of age, you're bound to the commandments. So that would be like your bat mitzvah, your bar mitzvah. Um, at 15 years, the study of the Talmud, which was kind of a step beyond the Mishnah. And it was kind of continuing on that study. That was the expectation. Pretty much every Jewish kid, I'm sure there were some of them that, that were less educated than others, but I mean, the average Jew that Jesus met walking around in the Gospels teaching them, man, they knew a lot of the Bible. They knew a lot of the scriptures. Sometimes I think we forget that when we read through the Gospels and we read through the book of Acts. You know, I think we've diminished the importance of knowing God's word in the modern church to some degree. A lot of us use it like a reference book where you don't really know it all that well. You, you kind of get to a point where you've exhausted all of your knowledge base and all of your friend's knowledge base, and then reluctantly you kind of reach up and you flip through it because you don't really know it that well, but it's kind of up there, and so you know the answer's in there somewhere, and you flip through and you flip through and you try to find something that fits. Man... That's not what God's intention for us with his word ever was. Instead, it's supposed to be something that, is, that, that we're in so much, it's actually alive in us. 
What does that mean that it's alive in us, that it's actually speaking and that it's shaping, that it's growing us? That's God's intention. Yet the dovetail between the Holy Spirit in our lives and our usefulness is what? It's God's word. See, the Holy Spirit uses God's word to increase our effectiveness. Look at James 1.25. Those who look closely into the perfect law that sets people free, who keep on paying attention to it, and don't simply listen and then forget it, but put it into practice, they'll be blessed by, by God and what they do. Second Timothy, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he's looking back on Timothy's foundation. So Timothy had a mom and a grandma who were believers. We don't know anything about his dad, but we know his mom and his grandma were believers. They taught him the scriptures as a young child. And so this is what Paul has to say to him about that. He says, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So he says, look, you had the foundation. The Holy Spirit used that to connect the dots so that you understood who Jesus was and who God is and, and how the Messiah you know, has come. And then he says, he goes on, he says, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what's right. And listen to this. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Everything that we do that's, that God is gonna use that he's gonna accomplish in our lives, look, he, he wants to use scripture to build that, to make it more effective to make, make the opportunities be able to be taken advantage of more readily. But it isn't just about having the right words at the right time. You know, what does God's word, what is the Holy Spirit gonna do with God's word in our lives? Well, the first thing he's gonna do with it is he's gonna refine and transform our daily life. When we apply God's word, not just read it, not just listen to somebody on Sunday morning talk about it, when we actually apply it, God's going to use that to transform and refine our lives. Philippians 1.9, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, I, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in what? Knowledge and what? Say it with me. Yes. Understanding, right? Knowledge and understanding. Over and over and over, God tells us that part of our Part of his plan for our lives is to grow in knowledge, in wisdom, and understanding. That's true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. You see those three words over and over and over and over. You know, how much time do you spend on your hobbies? I, I'm not guilting anybody, but I mean, just think about it for a minute. How much time do you, do you spend reading or thinking about or researching on the internet or watching TV shows about hunting or fishing or crocheting or whatever it is that, that just trips your trigger? Some of you in your hunting stand, you're crocheting at the same time. God bless you. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is that you're really into, how much time do you spend on that? Now, why do you spend that time on that? Well, because there's a core belief we have that when you, when you invest time in, what's going to happen? When you invest time in, your results are going to be better, right? So that's why so many hunters just pour over, you know, the, the best clothes to wear and scent blockers and, you know, this, right? We're, we're always tinkering with stuff. We're always trying to find the right formula. Everybody's always trying to upgrade their stuff. Everybody's trying to figure out that next thing that's going to give them an edge. Why? Because we know 
if we invest the time and the energy in, our results should be better. Man, can I just, can I just suggest to you that way too many of us as believers expect our lives to miraculously change and grow without putting the time into learning God's design and his word? If your life experiences the light that God is gonna shine into the world, man, if that is part of your purpose of why he designed you, then doesn't it make sense that we'd put the time and energy into focusing on the information that provides the insight and the tools for the Holy Spirit to grow us, to refine our choices and our words and our interaction, transform our hearts and minds? Doesn't that make sense? Look at Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. And there's this word that's there. Underline it for me, then. Then the God of peace will be with you. Anytime you see the word then in a statement like that, um, that, that's what we call a prescriptive phrase. Right, your doctor writes you a prescription. This is the thing that's gonna help you get better, right? Prescriptive means you do this, you can expect results from it. Paul's prescribing the remedy right here that robs us of peace and joy and the life that we want. And, and even more so, can I just suggest the life that everybody around us wants too. They're all looking for those same things. And when we put this prescription into practice in our lives, look, I would just suggest to you, if you do that, you can expect that you will change and God will use your life to change the people around you. Let's talk about one more thing the Holy Spirit can use God's word to shift in our lives. And this one is, it is hard to say, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I struggled with how to phrase this point. Uh, this is, I, I don't know how to make it any less blunt than what it is. It just is what it is. Submitting to God's word, it tempers my arrogance. Nobody likes to think that we're arrogant. Uh, it, it's almost offensive just to even, even suggest it, right? But man, most of us practice arrogance in our life daily. Yeah, it comes out in how we approach people, how we judge people, what we think of the person in the car next to us, <laughs> um, what we say, and often how we say things. Even in dismissing people or opportunities because they don't fit into our schedule, our plan, our time, our desires, even that, that can be a bit of arrogance. And a lot of times we make excuses for it. I don't know how many times I've heard, well, they're just wrong, they can't handle the truth. Yeah, I, this is how I'm wired, take me or leave me. Yeah, if you don't like what I have to say, you're welcome to unfriend me. I've, I've, I've seen that statement so many times in the last couple of years. And I've seen it a lot in the church too, with sacred cows that people think are important that really aren't biblical at all. You know, when things aren't being handled the way they think they should be handled because they don't know all the details and maybe just to be real frank, they don't have, they don't have all the, the stuff they need to make the best decision in that. Even in how people present Jesus and the message of God's word. 
got to be careful about this. And listen, you can stand for the truth without being offensive or disrespectful or overzealous. The New Testament, the author of Romans wrote this about a group of people, Romans 10, 20, 10 verse 2. He says, I can testify about them. They're zealous for God. I mean, they, they show all the signs of people who really love God and take God seriously. He says, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. Well, that's interesting. You mean you can be obnoxious for God and it not really be God? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's real possible. He's saying they'd let their religious beliefs, the, the stuff that they assumed about God, the, the way they wanted God to be, the way that they wanted things to work with God, to get in the way of who God really was and how God had called him to live. It's even an issue going back hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament. Look at Proverbs uh, 19.2. It's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. You know, the, the more we learn God's word and apply it to our life, the, the more we learn to, to value things the, the way that, that God sees things, the, to, to handle situations with confidence and, and peace and faith, to view the unexpected as opportunity rather than just an obstacle, to, to speak love. And the more we do that, the more God can use us. Remember when we said it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict, not ours? That doesn't mean he won't prompt us again to be part of the process. Sometimes, man, sometimes I need people to come into my life and say, hey, you need to check this. This, is, this, is, this may be off. This is wrong, whatever it is. I, man, I, I have those people in my life. I, I appreciate that to some degree, not always in the moment, but it's the only way I grow. But I can, I can promise you this. If he leads you to be that person in someone's life, he will always lead it in line with love and respect. Look at James 3, 17 through 18. The wisdom from above is first of all pure. Okay, so the wisdom that comes from God is first of all what? It's pure, and it's also peace-loving, and it's gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Let me just ask you a question. Man, as the church as a whole, how are we doing on that? How are we doing? Third thing, deliberating on God's word helps me connect people to life's most important answers. Once you get past talking with someone about how God has impacted their life, a lot of us get stuck. Where do we go from there? I mean, I, I can tell you what God's done in my life, and you can be really excited about that, but then where do you go from there? We all love the scriptures that tell us that the Holy Spirit will, will teach us in the moment, that like he'll just he'll give us the right words to say. I, I love that verse. I depend on that verse very, very often. I, I love that. And I believe that he will, but I'll... Be honest, a lot of us treat those moments where God provides the opportunity to help someone come and see. We kind of treat that like a quiz at school. I know some of you, you were really, really good students, but most of us weren't. Like most of us had that moment when the quiz came up. We're sitting there and we know we haven't really studied and we know we haven't really put the time in. What did you do? You prayed, God, please give me the knowledge. Like, I sat through the class. I only slept through part of it. God, please just miraculously pop the right information into my head. We've all been there. We've all done that. If you haven't, I don't know how to talk to you. 
<clears throat> I have no idea how to be friends with you. <laughs> You're way more responsible than me. Psalm 1, 1, 2, 3 says this, Blessed is the person who doesn't follow the advice of wicked people or take the path of sinners or join the company of mockers. Rather, he delights in the teachings of the Lord and reflects on his teachings day and night. Admittedly, there's a lot of stuff in Scripture that's pretty black and white. There's a lot of simple answers that are in there. But, tell you what, the stuff we deal with in life is anything but simple. Life's complex. It's hard. And I, I'll tell you, the people that God has put around you in your life, they're asking really hard questions. How do I deal with parents or family who are abusive? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? You know, how, should I take this job or not? Yeah, how do I deal with this past relationship because there's kids involved? And like, how do, I, how do I deal with the relationship with that you know, the ex-wife or ex-husband or I love this person. We can't afford to get married because the government will take away our benefits. Hey, that one sounds maybe funny to some of you on the, the surface. I can tell you there are a lot of people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who are really struggling with that. They're coming to Tony and I with those questions and have been for several years and it, it gets complicated you know, how far should we obey the authorities over it? We, we could probably take the entire hour and just put a whiteboard up here and just, we could start making a list of all the hard questions people are asking us where there's no simple, thus saith the Lord answer in the Bible, right? There's a lot of that. I didn't put in your listening guide. There's a scripture I read at men's breakfast. It's the end of Hebrews 5. Part of it says this. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others, and instead you need somebody to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. He goes on, he says, solid food are for those who are mature. Listen to this. Who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Man, we all want to believe that Christianity makes everything easy. It doesn't. It takes skill and it takes investment. Scripture tells us it takes skill and investment to get to the point where the Holy Spirit can transform our hearts and our minds to the point where we can really see right and wrong. Why? Because life's complicated. And a lot of it is not easy answers. You know, Christians have a reputation in our culture for using the Bible like a club. <laughs> We, we tend to use it to beat people into submission. God says it's supposed to be like a scalpel, not to bruise and blunt into submission, but to, to cut deep into the deepest recesses of our issues so that they can be healed. But you gotta know it well enough for it to be able to be used like that. You know, you got, it's more than just reading it. It means you got to think about it, meditate on it, deliberate on it so that, so that God can actually use that in such a way where you can take complicated issues and go, okay, God's word says this about it and this and this and this and this might apply and maybe this is over here now. Okay, Holy Spirit, help me discern God's movement in this. My connection to God's word 
This is the realization that I've come to, is that my connection to God's word will absolutely affect my ability to reflect Jesus' light into the world. And again, that's kind of a humbling realization. You've probably heard that old adage that uh, you can preach a better sermon with your life than your lips. Uh, It's true, partially. At some point, though, I would just tell you how you live your life. Man, it's not enough. I'll be honest, it shouldn't be enough. Because it's not about us and our life. I mean, ultimately, we're not pointing people to us, I hope. You shouldn't be. Ultimately, where are we pointing them? To God. To Jesus. You know, your life only becomes the sermon it's supposed to be because it's been affected and guided by God's word. And at some point, you've got to help people move beyond your imperfect reflection of God's light to the real thing. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Let me end with a real simple analogy. Man, I I love glow sticks. They're just, everybody loves glow sticks except for moms whose kids like try to try to drink the chemicals and end up with glow stick all over their face. This thing's been in my car for a couple of years now. It's Kind of, kind of interesting because it's got a lot of potential, but it hasn't done anything yet. It's just sitting there. It's ready, but eh, hasn't done much. Well, how do glow sticks work? We all know. What do you have to do with a glow stick? Got to break it first, right? Got to break it. You got to shake it up. You got to let the chemicals mix together. See, that's the, that's the key behind glow sticks. It's got a mix. The potential may be there, but just the word sitting here on its own and your life sitting here, the two don't mix up. There's not a lot of light that's going to shine out. You know, not all glow sticks are, are equal either. This is actually a, this is a military glow stick, so it should be real bright for a while. But you get the Walmart glow sticks, man. They don't, A, they're not real bright, and B, they don't last for very long either, right? What's the difference between the two? Well, it's in the potency of the chemicals and how many are in there, right? And all of them will dim if you don't keep adding more agent into them. Look, God made you to shine. He made you to shine in the darkness. Let the Holy Spirit break you. Man, let him use the the word to activate your life. And then make sure that it's consistently applied into your life in a great enough quantity and a great enough quality. I promise God will make you shine. And then you can let him do the parts that only he can do. That's the secret to come and see. That's what God's called us to in evangelism. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here again, just to be in your presence, to be your family. Father, I thank you for all the people in this this room online who might be watching. Father, that you're using the glow into this world to shine your light in. It's not our light. It's the light that you create that we get to reflect. Father, I also know that um, we truly can't do it on our own. Even though you've designed our lives to be the thing that you use to shine that light in, our lives have to be broken first. 
Father, we've got to be changed and we've got to be transformed. Your word has to be applied. And I know that I'm guilty of not always putting the effort or the intentionality into that. So, Father, first and foremost, I pray for forgiveness, for not investing like I should. And I, I pray that you would help me, help all of us to really realize just what you want to do in our lives, but also recognize what it's going to take and then be willing to make the investment. Father, I, I pray that we would take the time to know your word well enough that it is living, it's alive in us. It's not just a reference, but it's actually something that guides us. It's a light for our feet to light up our path. Father, for all of us, I pray that as you're working in our hearts and you're working on us, you're convicting us of the things that are broken in our life, that we would make the choices that you would call us to make so that we can be healed. And whatever step each one of us here needs to take, Father, that you would give us the courage and the faithfulness to take it. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray for more opportunities to shine your light into this world so other people can know what we know. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.